Hi, this is Pastor Daniel Bracken. You're listening to Kings Alaska podcast. I hope the word encourages you and you get a touch from God that brings transformation and equips you to experience life with people, power, and purpose. Thank you for joining us. Enjoy the word. I want you to take your Bibles and turn with me while you're standing to a familiar passage of scripture that the Lord has just burned into my spirit the last few weeks. And it's found in Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. And we're going to be reading starting at verse 7. And I'm reading from the New King James Version. And so I want you just to read right out along with me if you have the New King James. Starting to verse 7, let's read together. Ask and it will be given you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks, it will be opened. Or what man is there among you who, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for, (coughs) for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, everybody say this with me, how much more, say it again, how much more? Will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Therefore, everybody say therefore. Therefore. Whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. I thank you for the privilege you've given me today to be here in Wasilla. I thank you for what you're doing among us in this city and in this state. And how you're used, you're birthing a church that the gates of hell shall not prevail against. And you will raise it up for such a time as this. To do mighty works that will bring glory to your name. So I'm asking Holy Ghost, come on me. Come on people, just pray in the Holy Ghost. Holy Ghost, come. Come in power, come in might. Thank you, Lord, for what you're doing right now. I praise you. Now anoint me that I have great liberty in preaching and anoint this great congregation that when we leave today, we'll leave knowing we've heard from you. Hallelujah. Oh, come on, give the Lord praise. Would you do it? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. You may be seated. Now, if I cough on occasion, here's what I want you to do. I want you to say, bless him, Lord. All right, so here we go. We coughed. Bless him, Lord. Now, if you'll do that, I'll get healed. Amen. (laughs) 23 years ago, God led us to buy a piece of property right here in Wasilla. In fact, it was the very thing that drew us to Wasilla. We'd sent uh, the Gables here. They had started their own church. I encouraged them to do so at that time. I didn't have a vision for anything beyond Hawaii. And a year after they started, of course, I'd come up to do a week of meetings at the beginning of the church. And uh, then we helped them financially, and we did what we could do to be a blessing. But... It was Brother Gable's church. But I told him, because I saw a 18-acre piece of property that overlooked the whole city, and I said, Lord, 
I said, and I told Ken this. I said, Ken, if you ever get a chance, try to buy that property. Well, a year later, Ken calls me and says, Pastor, I'm not supposed to be the pastor. You're supposed to be the pastor. I said, uh, excuse me, I live on Maui. <laughs> but I prayed. I said, God, if you want me to pastor the church in Wasilla, I want that 18 acres I saw. Well, God allowed us to buy that 18 acres. And then he told me to sell it. We bought it for about 700000 750000 sold it for three million and we bought this facility and we helped the work in Honolulu and the church continued to grow of course I sent Pastor Daniel here and a lot of things began to move forward and we appreciated the ministry of the Gables God led them in other directions but I'll tell you what God gave us back that property and we bought it back for a million. God gave us two million cash. Can you imagine that? Now, when you have that experience, what do you want to say? You want to say this line, God is good. So let's try it. Let's try it. Let's try it. Ready? And he's good what? Now turn to your neighbor and say, I really believe that. I want to talk today on the goodness of God and how to live in the goodness of God. You see, there are a lot of great scriptures about the goodness of God. One of my favorites, and I preach from it, is Exodus 33. <clears throat> it's when Moses says to God, please show me your glory. And God says, I will make all my goodness pass before you. Everybody say this with me. God's goodness is his glory. Say it with me. God's is his You have other passages of scripture that are so profound, like taste and see that the Lord is good. Oh, my, my, my. Or even what Paul says, that it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. But there are a number of verses that really begin to explain the goodness of God. One of them is Psalm 100, verse 5. For the Lord is good... His mercy is everlasting, and His truth endures to all generations. And when you read that whole psalm, that's why we come into His presence joyful with joyful shouts, and we serve the Lord with gladness, and we come into His presence with thanksgiving, and into His courts with praise, and we're thankful unto Him all the time. Why? Because He is good. But there's something else that's seen in that verse. And it's what's also seen in the corollary verse there in Exodus chapter 34 verse 6. It says, and the Lord passed before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord God, merciful, gracious, long-suffering, and abounding in goodness and truth. Now did you notice in Psalm 100 verse 5, and in this particular verse there in chapter 34 of Exodus verse 6, that goodness is tied to truth and love. You can't have goodness without truth because goodness then becomes distorted and is limited by man's own fallenness. You see, unless there's a reference point beyond man, there is no such thing as good. Because if we define goodness, it's nothing more than opinion. Opinion. 
And one of the great tragedies in our nation right now is we've eliminated God from the public square. We've elevated man's conceptions of goodness. And we've entered a world of deep evil. You think about World War II and Adolf Hitler in Germany where he convinced an entire nation that Jews were useless eaters is what he called them. And he murdered six million of them and thrust us into a world war that caused millions to die. You have to have truth. But it also has to be expressed. You, think about this for a moment. How many have a dentist that you go to? How many think he's a good dentist? All right, now let me, let me, what if he was very good technically? He knew how to take care of everything, but he was a sadist. He loved to inflict pain. Oh, you're talking about my dentist. That's what you're talking about. Now, now think about it for a moment. He's good at what he does, but something's wrong there. So if someone's good, they need to not only be good in realms of truth, of how God defines good, but they need to express it with love. In fact, if you want a really a good picture of goodness, Paul writes about it in 1 Corinthians 13 when he describes love. Listen to this. Love is patient, kind, does not envy, does not boast. It's not proud. It is not rude, it is not self-serving, not easily angered, keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth and always perseveres. Love never fails. Why put that on your refrigerator door? It'll change you. Why? Because all of a sudden, you see goodness tied to truth expressed through love. That's why the definitions of God in the Bible is God is good and God is love. Well, here's what's even more amazing. Goodness is not just an idea. It's a person. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. He says... He says, the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. But I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. You see, God was so concerned that you would know his goodness, that he literally took on robes of flesh, came into our time, into our space, lived before us what it means to be good. Literally, Jesus said it. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I and the Father are one. He talked to a shocked religious elite when he said, Abraham rejoiced to see my day. He saw it and was glad. They said, you're not even 50 years old. Were you around when Abraham was around and Jesus said those immortal words, I am that I am. I was the very God that spoke to Moses at the burning bush in Exodus 3.14. They knew exactly what he said because they picked up stones to stone him. Now, God was so concerned that you would know his goodness that he came and lived among us. Heal the sick, raise the dead, 
redeem broken mankind. Had compassion. He fed the people. Loved them. You say, well, Pastor, why, why did you pick out Matthew 7 as the text for today? Well, when I went to Phoenix, because I was going to go up to Tucson, and um, in fact, that weekend, I think you came the next weekend, if I'm not mistaken, we started the work in South Tucson, North Tucson, and in Rainbow Valley, so we opened up three extensions in just a weekend. It was something what God did. And I'm so thankful that uh, we have people that are willing to move out from their comfort zone and establish works in the far off land of Arizona. Amen. But I was there and I always engage with people. Whether I'm on an airplane, when I was flying here, I engaged with a doctor, medical doctor who who we talked for, goodness, my goodness, hours. And, um, and so at the hotel I was staying at for a number of days, I happened to engage with the receptionist that was there at the front desk. We got to talking about God, and she shared with me how she'd only prayed one time. She had prayed for her son who had been assigned to Afghanistan that he would come home. And he came home safe. And she said to me something that struck me. She said, well, you know, I'm afraid to ask God for anything else. I think I've used up my one time with God. And I realized something, that she had a distorted picture of the goodness of God. And as I was going to my room, I happened to open my Bible, and it landed on Matthew chapter 7. Listen to the words of Jesus again. Ask, and it will be given you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened. Here's a picture of God who is so good that he invites you. Did you hear what I just said? He invites you to ask. He invites you to seek. He invites you to knock. In fact, in the Greek language, that, that's the present tense in the Greek structure of that word, ask. It means ask and keep on asking. Seek and keep on seeking. Knock and keep on knocking. And he says to everyone who asks, They'll receive. If you'll seek, you'll find. If you knock, it'll be open. Now, think about it. God is inviting us to be people of prayer. How tragic it is when we don't pray. We are offending the God who is good, who says, if you will ask, I will meet you at the point of your need. Some people say, well, I don't want to ask because God may give me what I asked for, and it may not be good. Can I give you some good news? God can say no. Let me try it one more time. I said God can say no. Think about it. You know, you were, you were asking, you know, you, you, you ladies, you were asking for that young man you saw in school. And, oh, God, I'd sure like to marry him. God, can I have him? And God says no. You're so upset. Or you may be a guy who had your eye on a girl and she didn't have her eye on you. And you were so upset and you prayed, oh God. 
And then at the 20-year reunion, <laughs> you came back and you saw that handsome guy that you thought was handsome then. He wasn't handsome anymore. And you said, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Or that beautiful girl who you thought would, would be the answer to all your dreams. You saw her and you said, oh, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Aren't you glad God can say no? Aren't you glad he does that? Because he's got a plan for us that's better than we know. Somebody say amen. And then when you look on in the text, it's, it's shocking. Because he says, look, or what man is there among you who, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask him? Think about that. He's saying, you're evil. We are. We're fallen. And yet, if our son asks us for something, we'll try to give it to him. And he said, if, if you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more? Everybody say that. How? Say it again. What? How much more will your heavenly father give good gifts to those who are asking? So I invented a word. It's not in the dictionary. God is gooder. God is gooder than we know. Come on, say it with me. I want somebody else to use it. Amen. Come on. God is gooder than we know. How much more? It's beyond comprehension. That's why when we pray and God speaks to us, and he will, say, well, I haven't heard his voice. Well, it's just because your hearing isn't open yet. He speaks all the time. It's not his problem not speaking. It's our hearing. I've had the greatest, one of the great privileges of my life is to have been chosen to be a part of uh, the Church Growth Board International of the largest church in the world. It's the church in Korea. It was pastored by Cho Yong-gi for all these years. He went home to be with the Lord about a year or more ago. Church that started out with five people and was a million people, probably way beyond that now. And uh, I've had the privilege of preaching at the Olympic Stadium with 100,000 people there and on and on and on as churches and stood on the stage when a million people gathered for prayer at Yoido Plaza. You couldn't see one end from the other. And somebody asked him this question, how could you have built the largest church in the world in a, in a broken nation after the Korean War? when people, in order to live, would eat the bark off of trees. He said, I prayed and I obeyed. The biggest problem we have in God showing his goodness to us is not that he doesn't want to, it's our willingness to obey. Because so oftentimes he'll ask us to do some things and we're just not real comfortable and we go, uh, I don't think so. Or sometimes what he does we have situations that happen to us because we're just not diligent. I'll give you a good example of what I'm talking about. 
I may have shared this before. I could share a thousand stories, but, you know, I believe God prospers his people. Do you believe that with me? I believe that. That's why I'm a giver. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a supernatural giver. I go beyond the ability to give. And uh, God's been very kind to me. And if you really want to know his goodness, you start giving huge, and you'll find his goodness in a way beyond anything you've ever dreamed. My wife and I are working on our fourth million in giving to this church. And I'm a pastor. I'm not a businessman. And so God has just provided supernaturally for me. But I remember years ago, he spoke to me. He said, I want you to buy gold. I heard him. I said, okay. I called the gold dealer up. He sent me a prospectus. I didn't read it. I kind of thumbed through it, but I didn't read it. And so I called him back because I knew that I was supposed to buy it anyway. So I called him back. And um, I said, I want to buy gold. He said, did you get the prospectus? I said, yes. I said, did you read it? Now, I'm a pastor, and I want to go to heaven, and liars won't make it to heaven. So I said, uh, no, I didn't read it. He said, well, I can't sell you the gold because you have to read the prospectus before I can sell it to you. I never read it, never called him back. I was going to buy gold at $200 an ounce. It went up to 2000 God was trying to bless me, but my lack of obedience and diligence robbed me. Smile at me. That weird idea you may have in your head may not be a weird idea. As you pray about it, it may be God who brings it more and more back to you. But the most important thing is not only the fact that you obey, but remember something, that there are times when, when things take place that you're not expecting. That is, that you, tragedy comes. Let me give you a good example. I, I know you're in a spiritual battle here. Anybody know that they're in a spiritual battle here? How many know the enemy doesn't want that church built? He's already freaked out about what's happening here. Lucille. It gives him a migraine to think what will happen when you move into the new building. And, and I'm aware of that. I'm aware of that. I'm aware of that. Because um, I got into my hotel room yesterday and... Um, had a cup of coffee and my phone rang. My phone was in my, per my wallet. And somehow I answered the phone and I left my wallet somewhere. And when I looked back to go find it, it was gone. Somebody stole it. Now, that's never happened to me before. It's all my credit cards, my license. My whole world was in that wallet. And I thought, hmm, that's not a good thing. Did I get uptight about it, scream and holler, blame God? No, I was stupid. I left it there. Somebody was brilliant enough to steal it. There are times when things happen to us because of our own uh, limitations. Sometimes it happens because demonic powers are uh, trying to undermine, which I think this is the case here. I think that Sometimes things happen in life because, you know, we, um, we don't have answers for. 
You've got to understand there are a number of wills in the universe. There's God's will. There's Satan's will. And then there's the will of, what, seven billion people? You all have a will. And there are people that do evil things. I've had to do funerals recently for horrible situations that happen to people. A drunk driver killing a young college student and, and on and on and on. Just horrible things. And you go, whoa, tragedy. Well, how do, you, how do you explain the tragedies in light of the goodness of God? Oh, I explain it simply as this. God could end every tragedy. He could end it in one moment. All he would have to do is get rid of all selfish people. So at 12 o'clock midnight tonight, if he says it's over, there will be no more tragedies in the world. The problem, he's going to get rid of all selfish people. How many of us will still be here at 1201? We're all selfish. It's all about me, myself, and I. I mean, that's why we need to be redeemed. <laughs> that's why we need, to, we need to have the Lord shift our focus from ourselves to the goodness of God. I'll never forget an incident that happened when I was a new pastor there on Maui, a young man got saved in our church and it wasn't long after he got saved that he ended up with leukemia. And uh, he was in the hospital, he had a bone marrow transplant. And uh, I'll never, I, I remember distinctly, we were in the chapel and um, a group of friends of his gathered together to pray that night. I was there. And, you know, I believe in faith declarations. I believe in that. I believe we declare what we believe. And they were believing that he was going to get healed, so they were declaring it. But as I prayed, the Holy Spirit said, I'm taking him home. And he died that day, next day. I had to go talk to his mom. I remember I was driving at, in the evening. She lived up an alleyway in Kahului. And I was driving, praying, saying, God, what do you want me to say to her? And here's what God said to me. He said, the moment you enter that house, she's going to ask you a question. And the question is, why did my son have to die? And here's how you're to answer it. Well, so sure enough, I knocked on the door. She barely opened the door. She saw me. She said, why did my son have to die? And I said to her what the Lord spoke to me to say to her. You're asking the wrong question. It's not why. It's how. How do we respond in this moment? We'll never know the whys until we get to heaven. In fact, even if God tried to tell you the why, your brain is the size of a pea compared to his. He could never explain to you. It'd be in language you wouldn't understand. But we can know the how. We can know how we're to respond, what we are to do. I could be all upset over my wallet going, ah, my world's collapsing. Or I can say, Lord, Wow, this is exciting. I wonder how you're going to turn this thing to good. It's a whole different thinking when you realize the goodness of God. 
about a year or two after he died, the Lord revealed to me one of the reasons why he took him home, which I knew nothing about. Nothing about. It was God was having mercy on him. You see, God wants us to, to realize over and over good that he is, that he is so good. And because of his goodness, we never lose hope. Yes. Say it with me. We never lose hope. Never lose hope. I love what the prophet Isaiah says in Isaiah 30, 18. Let me read it to you. He says, therefore, the Lord will wait that he may be gracious to you and therefore he will be exalted. That he may have mercy on you for the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all those who wait for him. If you'll wait on him, he'll reveal himself to you in great measure. And he'll give you hope. In fact, I'm here to tell you, God never wastes a hurt. In 2 Corinthians 1.3, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercy, and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble, with, which the, with, with the comfort which ourselves are comforted by God. God will never waste a hurt. He will bring you through that hurt. He will give you comfort so that there'll come a time when your testimony will be a testimony to others and bring comfort to others. Think about what God says in 2 Corinthians 12, 9. My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. For when I am weak, then am I strong. It's in those times of weakness that we lean upon the strength of the Lord. And over and over again, I've been amazed at how God, how God has been my strength. Romans 8:26. likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit makes intercession for us with groanings that cannot be uttered. Did you know that phrase, can groanings that cannot be uttered is really unexplainable in the Greek language what it is. He's talking about speaking in tongues. That when you speak in tongues, you're edified and the Spirit of God prays through you prayers that you aren't even aware of. And of course, that great passage in Romans 8, 28, and listen to what he says, and we know. That's the biggest part of that whole thing. And we know. Say it with me. And we there's a lot of things I don't know. But there's one thing I know. That God is working for my good. If I will love him and, be, and, call, and am called according to his purpose. It's not that everything is good. Everything that happens to us isn't good. But even in the bad times, there's a good God who if I love him and I will do what he's called me to do, he will turn it to good in my life. Oh, my, my, my. If God is for us, who can be against? Oh, come on, somebody. You ought to get excited today. Yet in all these things, we're more than conquerors. Through him who loved us. Wow. God's speaking to us today. We need to keep a perspective of God, of who he really is. He's good. No matter what's happened to you in your past, 
He's good. You say, well, you don't know what happened to me. Listen, I've been a pastor for over 50 years. I've heard everything that ever could happen to people. I've seen it. I've done funerals for people. Very tragic things. I've felt the pain of many. But there's something about the goodness of God that if you grab it and you understand it, you will never be the same again. And not just know that he's good, but live in his goodness. You say, what do you mean by that? Well, if you look at the context of chapter 7, you'll notice in chapter 6, Jesus says, don't worry about anything, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. God gave me that verse when I was a young man, Danny, your age. And I did that. That's been my life. And God has shown me his goodness in ways beyond anything I've ever known. You'll notice that we're not called to judge. We're called to be careful how we judge. Pull the pole out of our eye before we pull the speck out of somebody else's eye. But the key of this passage is the verse right after Jesus talks about the goodness of God. Look at verse 12. Therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. You say, well, okay. That's called the golden rule. Now, it's interesting that Confucius, a Chinese philosopher, when asked for a one-word rule of life, he replied, is not reciprocity such a word? What you do not want done to yourself, do not do to others. Well, the problem with that is, that's not what Jesus said. I mean, it's good. It's good philosophy. That's better calling sowing and reaping. Here's what Jesus said. What you want people to do for you, do for them. Now, let me ask you a question. How many would love to have somebody just walk up to you and give you a $100 bill? Let me see your hand. Some of you are afraid to raise your hand. Do it to others. I mean, God spoke to me. I've shared it with you here, I'm sure, before. There was a day when God wanted to teach me generosity, so he said, put $100 bills in your pocket, in your wallet. People are going to come up to you, and I'll have you give them $100 bills. I'm working out at 24-hour fitness. Somebody I didn't hardly know just said hi to him at the place. He comes up to me. He says, you know, I need some gas money. Can I borrow some money from you? I go, how do you know I had any money? <laughs> I pulled my wallet out, gave him a $100 bill. He said, I'll pay you back. I said, no, you don't have to pay me back. It's from the Lord. Did you know that money went like this? <laughs> now, don't go asking me for him. My wallet got stolen. <laughs> Plus, I didn't carry that anymore. It's all gone. Are you still with me? Now, think about it for a moment. You say, oh, I wish somebody would give me a car. Maybe you should give a car away. Did you know when we were building the cathedral, God asked for my house. My wife and I both heard from the Lord, sell your house, give it all. That's what we did. He gave me a better house. Supernaturally. I had nothing. Listen. God is good and he's trying desperately to make you like himself 
You say, well, why? Because this is a very dark world. And God turned to, Jesus turned to his disciples and said, you are the lights. Let your light so shine among men that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. That's, that's why we're here on the planet. To reflect the goodness of God in a very dark world. My life's been marked by the goodness of God. When I was one years old, I was dying of whooping cough and measles at the same time. Doctors said, you will not live. My parents gathered around my crib and they began to sing a song popular at the end of the 1940s. Christian song, faith mighty, faith the promises that looks to God alone laughs at impossibilities and cries it shall be done and cries it shall it shall be done and cries it shall it shall be done laughs at impossibilities and cries it shall be done and god touched that little boy in that crib and healed me at six years old i was in the foothills of the himalayan mountains going to school as a six-year-old a thousand miles away from my parents my three older brothers were there at the school. I never got to see them much because I lived in a dorm with kids my age. And it was in the mountains of India. And you had to walk a very steep mountain to, to get to the school, which was a distance away from the boarding house. The thing about it was that it was a road carved out of the mountain and on the sides, there were drops of 100 to 200 feet straight down. There were no guardrails. It was a rainy day, and I had a raincoat with me, and I saw a kid who was walking in front of me up the road with a raincoat over his head, and I thought, boy, that's cool. So I threw the raincoat over my head, walked right off the mountain. It was a cliff about 100 to 200 feet down straight. And uh, I don't know how it happened. But when I fell, there was a little ledge that caught my falling body. I'm certain that what happened, an angel just took his mighty hand and slapped me across that mountain face. And I landed on that little ledge. And I climbed back up. My parents would have never seen me again because I'd have been buried before they would have ever been able to get up there. There were no planes. We took a train. At 17 years old, God proved his goodness to me in a way that I look back on and it's beyond comprehension. I graduated from high school in the Philippines. And um, as you know, my parents were missionaries, so they didn't have a lot of money and I wanted to go to college in the United States. And uh, so I had a friend of mine who mentioned to me how if you wait at the American embassy and you're an American citizen, sometimes ships come in that lose their sailors at the previous port because they got drunk and didn't make the ship leaving time. And so when the captain comes to the next port, they hire on American citizens. But you have to be waiting at the American embassy. So I was waiting at the American embassy for about two weeks. It was a rainy day, and if you've ever been in Manila on a rainy day, it floods, and it was flooding. While I'm sitting there, the ship captain walks in, 
He points at me and points at two other guys and said, you, you and you, meet me at the dock in an hour. Well, I, I, I took a taxi, got home. My parents weren't home. I got my bags together, grabbed my stuff, and I was walking out of the house when my dad drove up. I said, Dad, I've got to be at the pier right now. Jumped in his Jeep, and off we went to the pier and uh, said bye to my mom and dad. Didn't even get to kiss my little sister goodbye. No, no friends or nothing. I was on a ship, and uh, they didn't know where I was going. Neither did I. That ship was on its way to Vietnam. It was the height of the Vietnam War in 1967. And the ship had been chartered by the American government to unload cargo there. And I'll never forget the first night I'm in Vietnam. We came into the port. It wasn't the port that we were going to unload on. It was just the port that we came into first that evening. And I took a, I had such a burden to be in the house of the Lord that I took a little, a boat from the ship to the pier and got off and hitchhiked to a chaplaincy service going on at the American base. It was pouring rain, I'll never forget. I sat in the back, I'm a 17 year old kid. I sat in the back cold, so I got newspapers and stuck them in my shirt. I don't remember what the chaplain preached on that night, but I was in church. I get real upset with people when they're not in church. It's because it's an issue of appetite. If you don't have an appetite for food, you'll die. If you don't have an appetite for being in the presence of God, in the family of God, you will die. So here I am, a 17-year-old kid in a war zone. Well, when I got back to the pier, there'd been sniper fire, and the little boat wasn't going out to the ship. I'm alone in a war zone in Vietnam as a 17-year-old boy. I saw a hut that had a table on it, in it. I figured, well, if Viet Cong are operating that night, it may, they may shoot the table, but maybe I'll live. So I crawled under this table. I don't know whose hut it was. I didn't know whose table it was. All I knew was bare ground and a table, and I slept. And I said, God, let me see the morning. And he did. And the ship, the little boat was running in the morning, got back on my ship, and we unloaded cargo in Quinam, Vietnam. And I remember so distinctly how this ship was full of perverts. They had guys, that's all they did was at every port fornicate, spend all their money. There was only one other Christian on board and he happened to work in the engine room so I never saw him. And um, what happened was he, uh, I, I said, God, I sure would love to have you turn the ship around and let me see my parents one more time. And I'd be at the back of the ship with my ukulele singing praises to God and praying. Well, I was a messman. That is the guys who serve the officers their food. And I remember talking to one of the officers and I said, hey, I said, is it ever possible for the ship to be able to turn around and go back to Manila? He said, it's impossible. He said, this is chartered by the American government. If we go off charter, the owners of the ship will have to pay a huge amount of money and going to Manila's off charter. Well, something very strange happened when we were in Vietnam though. The ship had been in Manila Harbor for two weeks before I got on it, but I didn't get notice of it till an hour before it was to leave. And they were supposed to get on all of their supplies, but one thing they forgot to put on 
was water. So when they went to Vietnam, the barge was supposed to come up and fill them up with water. But the barge didn't show. And so we had to leave. So they left. And two days out of Vietnam, come to find out, we were headed for Manila. Ah! Oh, I was so excited. But how I many know there's always somebody who wants to pop your bubble, right? And one of the officers said, listen, nobody will get off the ship. We'll be way out in the harbor. The barge will come. We'll be there only a couple hours, and off we go. Ship won't even get cleared. So I'm saying, God, if you turn this ship, you've already turned it to get to Manila. Now get me off the ship. So I, uh, we, we, we came to Manila Bay. If you've ever been to Manila Bay, you know there's a, break off, there's, a break, there's a breakwater thing, a wall, that many ships will go beyond that into, into the actual harbor. We were way beyond the breakwater wall. We were way out there. And there were a lot of ships that afternoon. We came in late in the afternoon after working time for customs officials. And the barge immediately came up and started filling us up with water. Then all of a sudden, something very strange happened. A little boat came alongside our ship, and a guy gets out, walks through the ship, and I hear the captain's voice about 15 minutes later. He said, we've been cleared. The customs officials came on the ship, and they cleared our ship. You got three hours on shore. Well, I had to work that night, but somebody was able to take my place, and Oh, you can't imagine how I felt when I was on the shore of Manila Harbor. And I hailed a taxi and I went home, but was I in for a shock? When I came home, you see, there was a man, he was in the Navy, he was stationed at Sangley Naval Base there near Manila. His name was Frankie Lane, he was a part of our youth group. The day I came in, the night I came, at the moment I came in, they were having a farewell party for Frankie and an honorary farewell party for me at my house at the very time I arrived. I got to say goodbye to everybody. My parents thought I was a ghost. I mean, it was a shock. They didn't know where I was in the world. And, I, and as a boy, 17 years old, I realized something. Of all the times for that ship to run out of water. It ran out of water in Manila on its way to Vietnam. Out of all the times for the barge not to come, it didn't come in Vietnam. Out of all the cities to go to, they went to Manila. Out of all the ships in the harbor, after a time the customs officials didn't even have to work, they cleared our ship. Out of all the times to have a party, it was on the very night at the very time at my house. God is. And he marked me. He marked me. He marked me with his goodness. And I've seen his goodness played out over and over and over and over again. God wants to reveal his goodness to you. Would you stand to your feet? He wants us to live in his goodness. Lift both hands in the air and let's just begin to worship him. Lord, we worship you. We praise you. We thank you. We give you glory and honor and praise, majesty and dominion. It belongs to you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Listen, the greatest expression of God's goodness, the greatest expression is his willingness to come in robes of flesh and die on the cross. 
so you wouldn't have to go to hell. He took your sins and he took the very nature of death and broke it apart by rising from the dead so he could offer you forgiveness and eternal life. Everybody look at me just a second. You might be here today and you've never given your heart to Jesus. Please, don't, don't offend the goodness of God. With every head bowed, everyone praying, you'd say, Pastor, I've never really made an honest commitment of my life to Jesus. But I want to experience his goodness. And I want my sins forgiven, heaven to be my own. Pastor, pray for me. Let me see your hands. Slip it up high quickly all over the auditorium. Yes, God bless you. 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 Put your hands down. Maybe you're away from God. You used to serve him, but you need to make a fresh commitment of your life to Jesus. You say, today's my day. I'm coming home, Jesus. Let me see your hands. Slip it up high. Yes, 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 yes. I want everyone to do this with me. The Bible says, whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. I believe that. I believe he made it very simple because he's the one who brought salvation. All he asks of us is to put our trust in him. And I'm going to pray a prayer. I'm going to ask everyone in the house to pray. You say, well, I prayed that prayer many times. Make it one more time. You say, why? Because somebody may be standing next to you who hears you pray and says, you know, I need to do the same thing. I'm going to ask everyone to lift your hands as a sign of surrender to God. And out loud, out loud, would you pray this prayer? Dear Jesus, I ask you to forgive me of all my sins. Wash me and cleanse me. Make me brand new. You died for me on the cross. And you rose again so I could be forgiven and have eternal life. Jesus, say it again. Jesus, come into my life. Be my Lord, my Savior, my King. I surrender all that I am to you. And I will serve you with my whole heart. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for hearing me. Amen. Amen. Give the Lord praise, would you? Well, I hope you were encouraged by God's word. Thank you again for listening to Kings Alaska podcast. God bless you. For more great content, go to kcalaska.com. And may God's face shine upon you and give you peace.